Welcome to Season 2 of the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. This is the podcast where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs, and payers face as precision medicine grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient-centered cancer care. Be sure to subscribe at precisionmedicinepodcast.com to get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox. Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast. I'm Jerome Madison, host of the podcast, Vice President at Trapello, and today we have two of the founders of the Ross Wonders, Lisa Goldman and Tori Tamalia. The Ross Wonders is an international support and patient advocacy group for patients and caregivers dealing with all types of Ross One positive cancers. Lisa and Tori, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Lisa, tell us about the Ross Wonders and how the organization got started. So the Ross Wonders is a group for people with Ross One positive cancer. So Ross One is a genomic marker that's most commonly tested for in lung cancer, but has been found in at least a dozen different types of cancer. So we're actually um, agnostic as to the the origin, but we are uh, just due to the status of testing today, primarily lung cancer patients, but we have a, a variety of patients in our group. And as you said, we're, we're international. So we have uh, patients from all over the world, although um, uh, since we started in the U.S., we, we are primarily, um, you know, made up of U.S. patients right now. Um, we advocate and support for folks with ROS1 positive cancer. So, uh, Right now, there is um, about two FDA-approved targeted therapies to treat ROS1 positive cancer, but there are a number of other therapies in clinical trials and developments that are unique to folks with ROS1 positive cancer. So our group is there to educate and support people, get them the right information and treatments, and hopefully uh, stimulate the development of more treatments for this type of cancer. Fantastic. How did, uh, Tori, how did the organization kind of form? How'd you guys come together? Well, I feel like it, it came out of a conversation um, between Janet, Lisa, and I. I think it was the two of you sat down with um, one of the doctors, Dr. Camage, and said, if we're going to if we're going to make sure Ross One has a lot of treatment options, what do we do? And he sort of summed it up with, uh, you'll need funding and a critical mass of people. So we said, well, we can do that. And so that's how we sort of decided we needed to gather this rare mutation, people with this rare mutation, and then somehow raise some money to fund research. So that's what we focused on. Yeah. You know, with the podcast, the the feedback that we get is the patient stories or those who have who have walked the path of the patient uh, are most compelling. They're inspirational for other patients as well as the healthcare providers. Um, would Lisa, would you mind sharing and Tori share your story of the experience of being diagnosed and then using the precision medicine approach to find that you were ROS1 positive? Um, what was that like and what's happened since that time? So my diagnosis was um, like many, especially ROS1 positive patients out of the blue um, because I had no um, risk factors for, for lung cancer. I, so I just had a persistent cough that I thought was a typical cold and 
uh, kept going back to the doctor and the doctor kind of dismissed it and gave me allergy meds because uh, she she thought she'd take a shot at that, even though I had no history of allergies. Then she took a shot at, um, you know, antibiotics and asthma inhalers, even though I had no history of asthma. Finally, it got so bad that... Um, that I went to the ER over uh, Christmas break because I, I well, that that was more of a healthcare issue. I, I my healthcare uh, HMO required me to either go to an HR or see someone only in network. So anyway, I, I was at the ER. They did an X-ray, saw that my lungs were all clouded over. Told me I had pneumonia, but that I should get a CT when I when I got home. So. Uh, again, with that misdiagnosis, I went home thinking I had pneumonia but needed a CT, went to see a pulmonologist, and then things accelerated quickly. So after months of misdiagnosis, um, I got the CT, and within a week, I was um, getting a biopsy and diagnosed with lung cancer at age 41. So I just turned 41. So um, I, the lucky part of this story is I live in the Bay Area and I was fortunate to be at a community hospital. So I wasn't at one of the university centers, research centers around here, but I was at a community hospital that was quite sophisticated and had just as of January 1, I was diagnosed, biopsied and diagnosed on January 10th. But so just the week prior had decided to start testing um, for the ROS1 marker. So as a as a matter of course, so I having no knowledge of of lung cancer um, in order, you know, no background to to know that I should ask for genomic testing. They did it as a matter of course, and so before I even knew to ask for it, I found out. Um, I started getting these results, these genomic marker test results back. Um, I had already started chemotherapy. Um, right there in the hospital just a, a, a day after my biopsy because I was in such um, bad shape. But uh, I had this information in hand. And so when chemotherapy stopped being effective for me, we switched over to the targeted therapy. Tori, how about your experience? Can you share a little bit of that with us? Um, so it was uh, 2013. Um I was 37 at the time, and it's the same thing. It started with just this bad cough, um, and it, you know, it was, oh, it's a cold, oh, it's asthma. And I went through all the asthma inhalers, all the same. I mean, it's the same story. And then, it, you know, it was all that probably January that the cough started, and um, finally in May, I got a chest X-ray, er, a CT scan, um, and that's when they saw that, like my whole left lung had this enormous tumor in there. Um, and then when they did more testing, they saw it was all through my bones, into my liver. It was widely metastatic. Um, so I started chemotherapy. Um, and at that time, they were only testing for EGFR and ALK regularly where I was. Um, uh, so I started on chemo, did six cycles of that. And then in the meantime, I was trying to learn about this horrible thing called lung cancer. Um, and I, that's when I came across Janet, Janet Freeman Daly, the other founder of the Ross Wonders. Um, and so learning from people like her, I heard there was also this thing called Ross One. And so I asked my doctor if she could test for that. Um, and long story short, she did. And it came back that I have Ross One. So at that point, I started Crizotinib. Um, and I was on it for four years. And I had 
four great years of that. And since then, I've gone through several others, and I'm in a phase one trial right now, um, which is kind of working. So <laughs> it's become a lot more complicated over the past year or so. Understood. You know, I, I, I would know that, um, that your group is such a tremendous resource for patients once they, they hear your stories and your experiences. You know, how do other Ross One patients find you and what type of information and support do you offer for them? Well, sometimes they find us um, from their doctors, which is pretty exciting that doctors are recommending they speak to other Ross One patients as well. Um, but sometimes it's just like, a Google search or they read one of our blogs or something and they say, oh, that's the same mutation I have. I want to find out more. We have um, a website, Ross1Cancer.com, and we have a very active secret. So it's not a public, uh, it, it comes up if you search it, but you can't see the content until you're um, approved and admitted to the group, uh, uh, but a very active, robust group on, on Facebook. So that's where, um, most of our content resides. So people either do searches on Facebook or Google and find our website or our Facebook group. Yeah. Well, Lisa, in addition to your own stories, are there any success stories that kind of stand out in your mind that you can share? Oh, gosh. Um, there there are a lot of success stories. I mean, it, it's hard because we also lose a lot of people. I mean, the reality is um, people only typically get the genomic testing when they're stage four. So our entire group is pretty much made of metastatic patients. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to qualify that uh, before I go into success stories, that this is the population we're dealing with, mostly people in, in dire straits. And and so, um, but it, it was just posted in our Facebook group a few hours ago that we had a patient She's having trouble navigating treatments because uh, there's actually a surprising uh, disparity on treatments that are available depending on what country you live in. And it doesn't matter if it's a Western country like um, Canada or the UK or other, you'd think, um, you know, fairly sophisticated countries in Asia or Europe. Um, some of these countries, you cannot get a hold of even the 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 first line targeted therapy that I'm on. So these these folks really need help navigating to even learn about what treatments are possibly available and then getting them. And so there was a collaboration where there were people pitching in from all over the world to help this patient figure out and educate her doctor on what treatments would be best and how to get them. And she's flying, I believe, to um, Germany soon um, to, to get going on a treatment that will, um, if not save her life, then probably, hopefully, you know, drastically shift out her, her survival date. Yeah. It's incredible to, to listen how your level of influence has spread all over the world to help people who are, who are seeking the knowledge and information that you bring. And I guess you guys were set up for success very early with, your vision, because as you mentioned, you engaged Dr. Kamage, and I think you guys also connected with Bonnie Adario. How did they help you kind of expand that vision? Well, Kamage gave us the very sort of nuts and bolts of, from the point of view of a researcher who's, you know, one of the forefront on this, this kind of research, um, you know, what they need and how to proceed. Um, and Bonnie has such a robust organization that it helped to guide us 
like how to connect to different people, how to find funding and so forth. Yeah. Patient advocacy groups have become a vital resource to, I guess, accelerate clinical trial awareness and enrollment for patients. And Lisa, I read in a recent article in Nature, I believe it was, uh, about how your organization promoted the ROS1 cancer model project. How are you guys involved with that and how has it helped further discovery for ROS1 patients? So this is probably the thing I'm I'm most proud of. We initially started with a Facebook group just you know, sharing information, but the fact that we've now been pivotal in pushing research and getting patients um, to donate biospecimens that may actually move the needle forward is um, is groundbreaking and and uh, and something that that I think other genomic marker patient groups are are you know trying to do in their own ways as well. So I think it's really shifting how research is done. So what we did is, um, as Tori mentioned, Dr. Kamaja told us, we just need a critical mass of, of patients to study and develop cancer models so that we can do valid research. So uh, Janet, Tori, and I um, collected patients, and then we then we worked with the Bonnie Adario organization, which is now called GoTo. Foundation for Lung Cancer, and they helped us um, put all the pieces together. We had weekly meetings with them. They would reach out to the researchers sometimes or the, the, the pharma companies figuring out what we needed to do. And in the end, the project that we launched a couple years ago is a collaboration both with University of Colorado and the researchers there and Champions Oncology and the the um, researcher that's associated with that is Christine Lovely at Vanderbilt University. And the way the research works is anytime a ROS1 patient goes in for uh, an otherwise necessary medical procedure and there's excess biospecimen that they have to donate, whether it's from a pleural effusion draining or from a surgical biopsy, they can overnight that biospecimen to um, to one of the the labs, either Colorado or Champions, and they will try to make either a PDX or a cancer model for research. And any models that are created are to be shared freely with any other academic researchers and available for a fee to pharma research. So so we've had success um, greatly expanding the number of ROS1 cancer models available and research is, is being done. We're, we're waiting to see, you know, <laughs> waiting anxiously for more treatments and results from that research. But as you know, research is, um, can, can be time consuming, but we're, we're on the road. For sure. Well, you guys really opened, you know, started this effort and it involved collaboration from the very beginning and with collaboration, we move faster. In fact, um, over the last year, the conferences that I've attended, including uh, the Precision Medicine World Conference and ASCO. One of the central themes were about the the information uh, patient records being siloed. And many times uh, providers can't access, and many times patients can't even access their own information. But with the growth of precision medicine, there seems to be a sense of urgency to find ways to share information in order to accelerate the learning and tell more patients. And this seemed to be very instinctive for the Ross Wonders, uh, because you decided to only work with researchers who would be open to sharing data and allowing you to direct the use of tissue. 
Tori, why was that important for you guys? Well, on one level, it's a very sort of blunt answer in that, you know, we all have a vested interest in this. We're not trying to further a career or anything like that. We're trying to stay alive. So the quickest way we can get answers, the better for all of us. Um, I mean, I guess ideologically, I also feel like that it's most important that you do something for the greater good. Um, so if you can share that information and, and further further everybody with it, I think that's the best way to go. The other piece, uh, just jump in and just emphasize also, we are a very small fraction of the overall pie of cancer patients out there. We, we're only in about 2% of lung cancer patients, and I'm not sure what the percentage is for the other types of cancer out there. But um, frankly, just as a matter of, of you know, practical reality, we can't afford to have our biospecimens, um, you know, siloed. Um, there just aren't enough of us. There aren't enough samples that we can have that luxury. Yeah. For, for those listeners out there who may be patients experiencing these things, what would be, um, Tori and Lisa both, what would be your advice for them? What would you, how would you give a word for them to kind of start this journey if they want their tumor to be profiled and they've not had this conversation yet with their doctor or, or, or to learn more about it, what would be your advice for them? Well, if they have ROS1, they can go to our website and there's information right on there how to um, engage your doctor and what forms they need to fill out and so forth so that their, uh, their tumor can be used to grow cell lines. My first piece of advice to any cancer patient who comes to me is, um, demand politely for genomic testing, no matter the type of cancer. You know, lung cancer, it's getting more routine, but not necessarily universally routine to get the genomic testing. So certainly for lung cancer, but even for any type of cancer, that field is evolving so quickly and you never know what they're going to find and maybe there'll be additional treatments available to you. So it's absolutely worth it. If you, um, if you run into any resistance from your doctor or um, or health insurance for uh, getting that test. It's um, it's very possible to reach out to companies like Foundation One directly, and they're very accustomed to helping patients navigate that process and getting tested. And then my second um, piece of advice for new patients is: once you have results from that, if you come back with any markers for your cancer, even if there aren't any known treatments today, start Googling that and try to find what I call your people. Because the more um, precise you can be in navigating to other patients and communities that have your specific diagnosis, the better information and guidance you'll get about available treatments, about clinical trials, about side effects from those treatments, all that kind of stuff, the more specific you can get, the more helpful the information will be to you. Absolutely. And for those listening, you can reach out to them and find this information on their website, Ross1Cancer.com. That's R-O-S, the number one, cancer.com. Are there any other social media platforms where, where patients, healthcare providers, or those interested in learning can better connect with you guys? Yeah, um, on Twitter, we're Ross One Cancer as well. Um, and same on Instagram. The Instagram, we're the underscore Ross Wonders. Um, yeah. So you can reach out either of those places. We all have, all three founders also have personal blogs and, and you can find us there as well. Yeah. I think it's fascinating when you go to the Ross 
um, Ross One Cancer website, you guys have the video where the, it is your superheroes and you are doing what you're doing for for Ross One patients out there is is super heroic. Uh, so I'll get you out of here on this question. What is your superpower? Because you all are, are painted in, in the video as superheroes. What is your superpower and what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a <good> question. <laughs> I guess in the big sense, I, I want to know that I've done something good in the world, um, you know, through both my family and then through the greater things like Ross One um, that have made people's lives a little better. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with Tori. You know, when you're handed something as difficult as a metastatic cancer diagnosis, it can be overwhelming. So, uh, you know, I take a lot of comfort and, and pride in the fact that we have managed to um, create something positive out, out of this and create a community that supports each other and helps people live longer. And hopefully it was accelerating research that will have ripples, not just for ROS1 cancer, uh, ROS1 positive cancer patients, but all other types of genomic marker groups that are also pushing for their own research. And um, I don't know what my superpower would be. (laughs) Well, as if you can only pick one superpower, I know Tori and Lisa, your superpower that's in effect right now is really expanding the vision of what we can all accomplish through having faith in making a difference. So thank you for that. Thank you. Lisa Goldman, Tori Tamalia, two of the founders of the Ross Wonders here on the Precision Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. Trapello is the first clinical decision support tool to align the interests of oncologists, labs, and payers to give patients the best chance at beating cancer. To learn more, visit gettrapello.com. To subscribe to the podcast or download transcripts of any episode, visit precisionmedicinepodcast.com. We invite you to join the conversation on social media. You can find us on Twitter at PMP by Trapello or on LinkedIn at the Intervention Insights company page. If you know someone who would enjoy the Precision Medicine Podcast, please share it. They'll thank you, and so will we. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Mm-hmm.